We all know what it means to be for something. You get behind it, you love it, you talk about it, you promote it. I hate to remind you about this since we are in the middle of the summer sports drought. But being for something is what Saturdays in the fall are, are all about, right? We know the stats. We read the message boards, we learn the cheers, we buy the gear, we scream at the top of our lungs for 20-year-old men on a football field. Now let's turn it around for a moment. Think about those times in your lives when you have known beyond a shadow of a doubt that other people are for you. When you've known that they love you and care for you and they have your back no matter what. Those are really powerful times. A a small example in my life, not so small, I think about my mother. All those years, 14 years playing soccer growing up and coming to every single game, rain or shine, heat or cold, even in the games when she knew and I knew that I wasn't going to play any, she was there. And it was a small but powerful message that she was for me. Knowing that folks are for us can make a huge impact and difference in our lives. Why is it so important? Why is it so huge to know that people are for us, that people love us and care for us? Because we live in a fallen and broken world. We fall and we fail and things don't work out. There are disappointments and regrets. And then you add to that mix our own sin And our own struggles and the problems we deal with. And as if we didn't have enough uh, criticism and difficulty from the outside. Sometimes our greatest critic and the harshest voice comes from within, doesn't it? And it's so important. It's so helpful. It's so necessary to know that folks are for us. Psalm 56 reminds us of one of the greatest privileges, one of the most comforting and powerful truths in the whole universe is that God is for us. In Jesus Christ, as we rest and trust in Christ, God is with us and he loves us and he cares for us and he's for us. Knowing that, coming to terms with that, remembering it can be fuel for our souls. So that we can go through the best times in life knowing that God is for us. And so we can walk through the darkest days and the hardest times knowing that God is for us. So let's look at Psalm 56 together and see uh, how it, it unfolds this reality that God is for us. First thing I want us to see is this. God is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. God is for us. Even when it doesn't feel like it. One of the things that makes Psalm 56 so powerful, so striking, is knowing the backstory. Knowing what David was going through when he penned and he prayed this psalm. You know when you meet someone and you know them for a little bit and you think that you've got them figured out. You, you, you realize, okay, this, he or she is like this in this category. And then after a few weeks or months, you learn more about that person. You learn more of their story. You learn uh, from a friend. You know that she lost her mom. You know that he deals with chronic pain. And then it gives you a little more perspective on that person, on that person's life. 
Here in Psalm 56, we need to step back a bit and process the details of the psalm. It's easy for us when we read the psalms to think, yeah, David went through a hard time. People were after him. Must have been tough. But let's walk through the details of Psalm 56, the setting, the background, in helping us understand that God is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. Here's the backstory. Saul was the king of Israel. And as you remember, Saul was strong and handsome and powerful. He's everything you would want in a king except for one big missing piece. He didn't love or serve God. And David was anointed to become the next king of Israel. He was set apart in 1 Samuel 16, but Saul was still seated on the throne. And in 1 Samuel 17, we remember that David killed Goliath. Then David became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. David married Saul's daughter, Michael. And in the midst of all of this, do you know what happened? Saul was filled with anger and bitterness and rage toward David. Saul tried to kill David. In fact, Jonathan, his best friend, had to meet him in the wilderness. And and he had to tell David, look, my dad is going to kill you. You've got to get out of here. And so David started to run. He started to run for his life. Nowhere to go. No plan. No idea what's happening next. He was scared and lonely and afraid. And his situation was so bad that he decided to run to Gath. Now, we all know why that's a big deal. Uh, We really probably don't. But uh, Gath was the hometown of Goliath. Gath was in the heart of Philistine territory. Can you imagine how bad things must have been for David that he decided to run for safety to his, the, the hometown of his mortal enemy? It'd be like the leaders of ISIS coming to Washington, D.C. to try to find sanctuary. And so David runs to Gath. And uh, as the infomercial says, but wait, there's more. 1 Samuel 21 tells us that David acts like a madman. He acts crazy in Gath so that the leader of Gath wouldn't destroy him. And once that leader finally let him go because he thought David had lost his mind, David decided to go and live in a cave. Now that is a bad week. That's a bad month. That's a bad stretch in one's life. David went through the ringer. But he remembered that God was for him, even in the midst of difficulty, even when he didn't, it didn't feel like it. And one of the things that we need to learn from David here is that David told God about it. He knew God was for him, even when it didn't feel like it. And one of the things that he did is he told God about his struggles. Look at the passage with me. Verse 1, men are after me. Verse 2, all day long they oppress me. It's relentless. They twist my words. Their thoughts are evil about me. They stir up strife. 
They watch my steps. They wait for my life. They injure my cause. They lurk. There were people after David. He was afraid. And what did he do? He told God about it. He brought his fears and his anxieties to God. He didn't bury them or ignore them or pretend that they weren't real. He brought his pain to his heavenly father. And this is one of the things that we need to learn We need to know that God is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. And part of the way to process that is to talk to God about our pain and our fears. We haven't experienced the same things that David experienced, but we've had bad weeks and months and years. And our fears and our pains and our struggles are very real. And we need to learn how to bring our hurt and our pain to our Heavenly Father. Is part of the way that we process the reality that God is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. It's part of the way we work through it. And if we ignore it and bury it and avoid our pain, particularly if we don't pour out our hearts to God, That's when the bitterness can grow. That's when we can begin to blame God and question God. And we can turn on the one that we need the most as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, there are some lessons that we can only learn when we walk through difficulty. There are some lessons that we can only learn when we're face to face with the reality that things are totally out of our hands and all we can do is trust in God. David probably didn't want to live in that cave. But I bet he learned to trust God there in new and profound ways that he'd never known or dreamed he could trust in God. There are hard things in our lives. They do not mean that God is against us. Sometimes the difficulties and the challenges we face may even mean that God loves us and that he's for us. I bet we could all think back about times in our lives where we were, that were terribly hard and where we had to learn to love God and trust in God more than we ever have before. And if you're in the middle of that storm in your life now... If you're in the middle of those struggles, hold on and trust and pray and tell God about it and lean into him. God is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. And one of the ways that we can work through that is by talking to him, by pouring out our heart to him. The second thing we see from Psalm 56 is that God is for us and he graciously reminds us. Of it. God is for us and He graciously reminds us of it. We have reminders set on our phones. We set up memorials in our lives so we don't forget. As much as we hate to admit it, we need to be reminded of things. And one of the most important reminders as we walk through life, as we deal with the scrapes and the struggles of life in a fallen world, one of the most important reminders is that we're loved and accepted and things are going to be okay. 
This is why you hug your friends and your family. This is why you tell them that you love them, not because you stopped loving them, but because we need to be reminded in this world that we're cared for and loved by another person. And Psalm 56 reminds us that God is for us, and He reminds us of some special promises and pledges. First of all, God reminds us that He's for us, and He remembers us. That's one of our deepest fears, that we'll be forgotten. That we'll be written off, that no one really cares about us or will remember us. Look at verse 9 in your Bibles. Verse 8, excuse me. David said it. You remember my tossings? You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? First part of that is a picture of David tossing and turning at night trying to go to sleep. I call it the rotisserie. I just go from one, my back to my side to my stomach to the other side. And uh, this, this happened to me this week. And, and as I was, you know, thinking about all sorts of things, trying to go to sleep, I just kind of giggled to myself because I'm preaching on this passage this week as I tossed in my bed. You ever had a sleepless night? God knows about it. It also talks about his wanderings, maybe his, his steps through the wilderness. Every step that David took, running, confused for his life. God knew and God remembered every tear that he shed. God put in his bottle. You ever think about that? All the tears you've ever shed in public or in private, God knows about it. And he stores them up and he writes them in his book and he remembers. He remembers. He knows. I've not been forgotten. See, when you're hurting and you're heartbroken and you're sad or you're walking down a difficult road, those are the times when that phone call or the text message or the person just showing up at your house, those are the times when those things mean so much because they reinforce I haven't been forgotten. And Psalm 56 is a reminder for us that God remembers us and that He's for us. He understands. Think about some of the scenarios in life where this might mean so much. Hurt by your friends. Betrayed by a spouse. Wronged in the workplace. Trapped in addiction. Worried about your children. Diagnosed with a disease, haunted by the past, traumatized by someone close, death of a loved one, waiting so long, loss of a job, shattered dreams, falsely accused, disappointed with yourself, frozen in fear, grasping for hope, longing for joy, struggling to go on. God in heaven knows about it all. And he remembers. And he remembers it not to use it against us one day. He's a good shepherd. And he's graciously leading and guiding us. In fact, one day the Bible says he himself will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. You remember when you were a little kid and you'd fall down 
and scrape your knee and fall off your bike and those giant tears are just running down your face and your mother would come up to you and she'd get on her knees and she'd wipe away the tears and she'd say it's going to be okay. And she'd give you a band-aid and a popsicle and a hug and you felt safe. Do you know the same is true of God? He himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will make it better. And there'll be no more tears or death or pain. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. We have to remember no matter what we're going through that God remembers us. God's for us. He remembers us. God's for us and and he saves us. That's another part of Psalm 56. Look at verse 13. You deliver my soul from death. You've been gracious to me. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples me. This is a great pledge that God is for us, is the fact that he came to save us and deliver us. This is what Christianity is all about, right? Jesus' whole life, his ministry, was moving toward this apex. It was for this purpose, to deliver us, to save us from our sins. Every part of his life, all that he endured, all that he experienced, that he suffered and he was betrayed and mocked, the pain, the agony of the garden, the shame of being stripped naked and beaten, the horror of the crucifixion, the separation from the Father, the wrath that our sins deserve, all of it was for this very purpose, that we would be saved and accepted by God. To deliver people like us. Broken, hurting, wandering, sinful people God came to rescue. David knew it. David knew it even though he was running for his life. And he was living in a cage. He, in, in a cave. That the most profound part of his life. Was the fact that God had saved him. Is that the most important thing in your life? Is the cross, the work of Christ, the empty tomb, is short, is the gospel of Jesus Christ the most profound and defining part of who you are as an individual? Because if we rest and trust and identify with other things, that's fine in, in small parts. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can keep us humble when things are going great. It's the only thing that can carry us through life when things are going so, so bad. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also freely with him give us all things? God has saved us. That is what one of the great demonstrations that he's for us. My friend Kurt Presley uses this illustration. Uh, he talks about his son-in-law. A year or two after his uh, his daughter and his son-in-law got married. The son-in-law came to him and said, Hey, uh, could I borrow your, your weed eater? And Kurt was like, I gave you my daughter. You can definitely use my weed eater. God's given us his son. He's provided for our eternal salvation. He's definitely for us and going to take care of the details of our lives. Another thing he reminds us of is that he's for us and that he speaks to us. Look at verse 4. In God whose word I praise, 
Then verse 10, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. David was well aware, even through these dark days in his life, that God is not silent. That God has spoken. His words are words of life. David said it in another place that um, God's word is more precious than gold, than fine gold. It's sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. God's word was on David's heart and it was in his mind. And it's so important for us to remember that God is for us because God's word reminds us of who he is and what he's like. His power, his might, his glory, his faithfulness, his promises, that his forgiveness. And this is one of the interesting things. Do you know where David had God's word? I guess it's possible that he carried a big scroll with him as he ran for his life. But it's not probable. They didn't have those little green Gideon testaments back then. God's word was written on David's heart. God's word was in his mind and in his soul. And I think it's fair for us to say that in those dark nights and those lonely nights of fear and confusion... In that cave, one of the things that brought David the greatest joy and the greatest hope and the greatest comfort was God's word as he prayed it and sang it and remembered it. I know it's hard for us to believe there is so much going on in our lives. But one of the most worthwhile things is reading and meditating and memorizing God's Word. It's hard for us, it's hard for me to go five minutes without refreshing my email and Facebook and Instagram. But feeding on God's Word, reading it, singing it, hearing it preach, praying it, is one of the most worthwhile endeavors in the universe. And it's one of the ways that God reminds us that He's for us. Back in the day, People used to write letters to one another. Some of you may remember this. It was on paper, and you write it, and then you put it in the mail, and you send it to a friend. And uh, we used to we used to keep the letters that were important to us in a shoebox under our beds or in our closet, right? And uh, because they meant they mean so much, uh, those love letters. You ever heard the idea that God's word is his love letter to us? It's written so that we can know and remember that God loves us. That God's for us. So what do we do with it? If God is for us, how should we respond? Because if it's true, if that is true, it's got to make a difference in our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? There are some concrete things that David did that are a picture and pattern for us of how we should respond to the reality that God is for us. First of all, knowing God is for us should give us active faith. Look at verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. Derek Kidner says it like this. Faith is seen here as a deliberate act of defiance of one's emotional state. David is praying. He's talking to himself. He's talking to God. He's reminding himself that God is the only one who can take away his fears. 
That means that when we're afraid, when we're struggling, when we're doubting, we actively seek to put our faith and trust in God. That's not what we like to do, is it? It's easy when we're doubting and struggling or confused or ashamed or hurt. We want to run away from God. We want to go in the opposite direction to ignore the pain, to try to find an escape. We plan and we scheme and we fill our lives with so much activity that we don't have to deal with those nagging questions and struggles within us. So many distractions. We don't have time to process the wounds and the pain. What David demonstrates here is a simple, powerful act of courage and faith. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in God. Because He's ultimately the one, the only one who can uphold and protect and keep us and carry us. So we need to repent and believe that He's for us and that He's good and we need to lean into Him and trust in Him fully with all that we are. You know when your kids kind of mad at you and you say, come give, come, come give Dad a hug. And they're like, you know. There's a difference between that and then the other hug when, when they just crash into your arms. The second one is the way that we need to come to God. Leaning into Him. Leaning into His loving arms. God is for us should give us, knowing that God is for us should give us active faith. Knowing that God is for us should move us toward worship and thanksgiving. Look at verse 12. I must render my vows and perform thank offerings to you. Part of the way out of fear and anxiety is to give God thanks and to worship Him. David is arguably in the darkest part of his life. At least the darkest part up to this point. And you know one of the things that he's thinking about? When can I get to worship with God's people? When can I give thanks to God? I know it sounds cliche, but part of our response to seeing and knowing that God is for us, even in the midst of hard and difficult times, is to worship and thank Him. It's part of the way that He takes the focus off of ourselves and puts the focus back on Him. The last thing... We respond in, is seen in verse 13. You've delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is such a beautiful picture. God being for us is something that lovingly draws us to walk with Him in the light of life. When we're afraid... When we have shame and guilt, when we're heartbroken, when we're so sad, when we don't know what to do, we want to stay in bed with the lights out. We want to avoid people. And one of the the beautiful things about God's promises, about His love, is that He draws us to walk before Him in the light of life. Living in the light of God's love and remembering that He's for us is one of the most beautiful and powerful things in the world. Thanking Him, worshiping Him. He's faithful, He's worth it, and He's worthy. 
See, God is working in us plans and purposes that are bigger than we can imagine. We think we know what would be great. God's purpose and plan is way bigger than what we could dream of. And uh, I've used this illustration before, but so many times we're kind of like the guy that won the lottery and he lived in a single wide trailer. And one of the first things people said is, what are you going to do now that you've won all this money? And he said, I'm going to buy a double wide trailer. It's like, have a little vision, man. I mean, we, we think we need just a little bit better, and God has so much more in store for us. He's for us. And it's like he's saying, look, you don't understand. I'm preparing a place for you that where I am, you may be also. God's for us. And he's called us to walk before him in the light of life. And we do that to his glory. Let's pray.